Well, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. And whether you're participating here in the room or in your own home around the atrium or uh, the hearth room, it's just awesome to be worshiping together. For those of you who braved the Arctic storm, you're going to have an iceberg-sized jewel in your crown this morning. So way to go. Thanks for being here today. You know, we are continuing our study of Matthew, which is about laying out the course of Jesus' life and really the course for the whole back nine of the Bible. And so we've likened this to the idea of a nine-hole golf course to show, as I talked about two weeks ago, exactly what Matthew's trying to do. He connected Jesus to Abraham. Now you can see the balls made it to David. We're going to focus on David, a connection to David today in his kingdom, which is going to set up Moses and then all of his major teachings through the book. As you think about that, one of the things that we've noted in this series is that Matthew's favorite word is fulfilled. He loves talking about fulfilled, and he is going to show us over and over again how all these Old Testament prophets teed up all these predictions about Jesus, about the Messiah, about what the suffering servant would look like. One of the other themes he has is that in the Old Testament, Moses was a key figure. So Matthew is writing to a Jewish people, showing them how Jesus is the Jewish Messiah or Jewish king, bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. So you can see constant connections to Moses, who brought the law in the Old Testament. Jesus brings the new law, the new covenant, the fulfillment of that law, and then some to us today. So you're going to see constant comparisons to Moses, predictions by Moses, things written by Moses that begin to get played out that Jesus is going to fulfill as well. Now Moses is really known for the law, but also for bringing people out of Egyptian bondage, right? Now at the same time as Egyptian bondage, it led to spiritual deliverance as well. Jesus is going to come to say, I've come primarily to deliver all people from spiritual bondage. So even the idea of bondage connects him to Moses. And today we're going to look at Jesus' name, and we're going to find that Jesus' name is a two-stroke fulfillment. We're going to find that his very name tells us that he did two things. He took the rap for us, and he closed the gap for us. And you're going to see how many times, of all the things Isaiah said that we studied last year, Matthew's going to keep using the word fulfilled. He'll say, hey, remember when Isaiah said that? Fulfilled. Remember when Moses said that? Fulfilled. You remember when Isaiah said this about the virgin? Fulfilled. You remember what he said about the government? Fulfilled. You remember what he said about the child to be born? Fulfilled. So he's going to keep showing us how Jesus is just over and over and over and over again fulfilling specific detailed predictions, even in his very name, as you'll see today. So let's, uh, let's look at how that applies to our life. Like if God really does take the gap, close the gap and take the wrap for us, like that should make a difference in our life. So before we jump into the passage, it reminds me several years ago, I had a nurse that was attending our, our services, exploring in particular. She didn't grow up in religion, didn't really grow up knowing Jesus. And she began to learn through our exploring service who God is, who Jesus is, and that her heavenly father wanted to reconcile with her and connect with her. So I was talking to her after her service one day, and she said, you know, I'm just really enjoying getting to know God as my father. My father, earthly father, is estranged. We haven't talked in 10 years. I said, man, well, I'm sorry for that. It's going to be really painful. A couple of months went by. We talked again. She said, you're not going to believe what happened. What happened? I was driving home the other day. I was driving to work the other day, rather. And I feel like the Holy Spirit told me to drive past my dad's house. So I drove past the house, and I thought, well, I'm just going to drive past it. And as I got near it, I felt like the Spirit was saying, I want you to go knock on the door. I'm not going to knock on the door. She pulled over, obeyed. She went and knocked on the door. She hoped Dad wasn't there. 
he was there. He opened the door. Honey, so good to see you. Yeah, I, I was just driving by on my way to work. Do you want to come in? No, no, I don't want to come in. Uh, but I just want to let you know I've been going to church and, and I just want to say hi. Would you be willing to grab lunch or dinner sometime? She goes, I couldn't believe it came out of my mouth. Sure. Sure. And I started rebuilding a relationship with my dad because I realized my heavenly father had built a relationship with me. It wasn't like a particular sermon. It was just the spirit of God, when you see what God does for you, begins to prompt you to do the same thing with others. So be careful today as you listen to this message. God may prompt you to let go of some bitterness, forgive somebody, or even reconcile. So let's look at those two strokes today. Stroke number one, God, Jesus, takes the rap for us. He begins in the second half of Matthew 1 and says, Now this is the birth. And he uses again the word Genesis, just like he did in the genealogy. This is the Genesis. This is the origin story, is another way of saying it, of Jesus Christ. And notice the word Jesus. The section starts with Jesus and ends with the word Jesus. Now the origin story of Jesus Christ is as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now betrothed is much more than just dating or dating seriously or being engaged. In those cultures, families, parents would arrange the marriage. Often for years you'd be age 10, age 12, and eventually you'd be betrothed to each other to get married years later when you were adults. So this was a long-term process. The families negotiated. There were witnesses there, specific things each family member had to do, the husband and wife to do. It was a lot of accountability in marriage. Which is why when things go sour here, they don't just break up. He has to divorce her. That's how, that's how close-knit betrothal is to marriage. And then once you were betrothed, you would leave for a year, go prepare a place for your bride, then come and find her and bring her to that place. And Jesus used that metaphor to describe his second coming as well. So that's what betrothal means. Now, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew's being real careful here. Because he didn't say, she's not, he's not going to say Jesus was created. Because Jesus isn't created. He says, he, here, this is his origin story. But then he uses the word found because in his culture, the Greek culture, the Greek gods were forever coming down and sleeping with mortal women. So he's saying, that's not what we're talking about here either. We're not talking about God is like the other gods of Egyptian culture who's just kind of obsessed with lust and he sleeps with mortal women. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit found and he put life where there was no life. Just like the book of Genesis, God looked at the, 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 the formless void and he brought life where there was no life. The Holy Spirit, and that phrase will pop up twice in this passage, brings life into a womb where there was no life before. This is the origin story of Jesus. Well, Mary is going to tell Joseph what happened, and apparently he doesn't believe her. Next verse. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So apparently he doesn't believe her. Imagine the stakes if you're Mary or Joseph. This had to be an incredibly difficult emotional conversation. You're Mary. You're living in a small Jewish community that committing adultery, which would be premarital sex or extramarital sex, is a capital offense. You could get stoned for it. And, and you haven't been unfaithful. You love Joseph. And you sit down and say, we, we need to talk. And you begin to talk about the fact that you're pregnant. 
But listen, I wasn't unfaithful. It's God's baby. Right. It's God's baby. And you know that your life is on the line if he doesn't believe you. If you're Joseph, you've been building a house. You've been preparing a place. You've been planning out the next decades of your life. Imagine the shattering of confidence, the shattering of trust. And what's so bad is not only has she been unfaithful to me, she, wants, she thinks I'm so stupid. I'm going to believe that she's impregnant with God's baby. I mean, the, the stakes and emotion is high here. But notice that even in that, he decides to not make this a capital offense and put her before the, the council to be killed. She, he even here tries to be kind and just put her away secretly because he still loves her. But while he thought about these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her, second time we hear the phrase, is of the Holy Spirit. So it's going to take a dream and an angel, but he's getting the message. This is God's plan. And you will, she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I told you, it starts with Jesus, ends with Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And we're going to come back to the name Jesus and who is the he, who is the people, and who is sins in just a second. But he said, like, oh, wow. I thought my wife betrayed me. Instead, I'm in the center of God's will. In a moment, I thought it was really hard. Now, let's talk about Jesus' name for a second. So in Hebrew, there's a name, Yehoshua, Yehoshua. If you say it like 10 times fast, Yehoshua, Yehoshua, Yehoshua. Your, 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 your mouth almost wants to shorten. It's Joshua, Joshua, Yehoshua. So Yehoshua was often pronounced Joshua in our language, Joshua, which literally means Yahweh is my salvation. But they felt the name of God, Yahweh, was so sacred, they would replace it with the name Jehovah as a stand-in, as a way of respecting Yahweh. It's like, Jehovah is my salvation, which pointed to Yahweh is my salvation. So, in Hebrew, that's the word Joshua. When that was translated into Greek, Greek translated Joshua, or Yehoshua, into the word Jesus. That's the Greek word, Jesus. Then that got translated into Latin from the Greek, because most of the New Testament is written in Greek. And in Latin, it looks like Jesus. Then when the English translated, we got Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean something was lost in translation. That's just kind of what happens when you translate from different languages and different syllables and different ways that things are pronounced. So our name Jesus that we see here actually is pointing back to the Hebrew word Joshua, which literally means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is my rescuer. Yahweh is my forgiver. Yahweh saves. That's the name Jesus. He saves. He takes the rap for us. He takes the consequence for us. He's come to deliver us from bondage we can't get ourselves out of. He's come to deliver us from, from our own inability to live up to our standards and be the image bearer he called us to be in Genesis. Yahshua. He takes the rap for us. Let's go back to that passage. So this is the birth of Yahshua. Yahweh is my salvation. Verse 8, verse 21, for Yahweh is my salvation, for he will save. Okay, so which is it? Is it Yahweh saves? So there's Yahweh and there's Yahweh saves. Which one is going to save us? Yahweh or Yahweh saves? He says, well, it's he. Oh, it's Yahweh saves that's going to save us. 
Right? So there's Yahweh and there's Yahweh saves. He's saying he, this baby, is Yahweh saves. And he, not Yahweh, he will save you. He's telling you as clear as he can that this is Yahweh. The only one who's ever been able to save. And he can save his people. To which you say, who are his people? Like, well, he's Jewish. It's Jewish people. Yeah, yeah, but he just told us who his people are. You know, I gave Drew that really hard passage on the genealogy. You know, to kind of make him look bad, you know. And he did a great job, didn't he? And what did we learn about his people? We learned in God's family tree are his people. It's kings and scoundrels. It's rebellious people and religious people. It's Jews and Gentiles, male and female. He came to save everyone. That's his people from their sins, from their inability to live up to their own standards, their inability to live up to God's standards. The way in which we, we, we discount God and we ignore God. Jesus is going to take the rap for what we deserve. It's his name. Yahweh saves. If Jesus is his name, then Christ is his title. Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one. Again, another fulfillment of a promise by Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. There it is, anointed me. The word in Greek, Christos, of the anointed one, the Messiah. He's anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. And Jesus will quote this very thing. I'm what Isaiah talked about. I am the anointed one. But now if we go back in the passage, we're going to see he also connects him to David. Right? So we did that in last week's passage. But again, when the angel talks to Joseph, he says, But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said to him, Joseph, son of David... He's connecting this child is not only Yahweh saves, but he is just like predicted, connected to David's reign. To be a son of David, David was a king and he had a kingdom on earth. This is God bringing his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, to earth. So it's this infusion of an earthly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. And he's going to live out a different type of kingdom on earth. Which is why Jesus' favorite topic through the entire book of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. He invites you into the kingdom and to live out the kingdom. There's another famous Isaiah passage being fulfilled here. For unto us a child is born, a mortal child. At the same time, a son of God will be given. And he will bring a kingdom, a government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his, here it is again, his government, his empire, his kingdom, and peace will be no end. And look how he ties it in Isaiah. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. So this is this constant theme that now the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. Remember the Lord's Prayer? On earth as it is in heaven. God came, Jesus came to take the rap for us, to save us from our sins. What are the implications for that for us? Well, I'll give you two. Number one, when someone takes the rap for you, oh my goodness, I have made a mistake, I did something stupid, I need a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, and somebody takes the consequences for you, then you start saying, man, I want to be more graceful or kind to other people. Even Joseph, 
who was a devout follower of Yahweh, he realized that Yahweh uh, had paid for his sins. And he went to temple to, to celebrate that Yahweh was his Passover. And even when Mary betrayed him and he didn't believe her, he still chose to extend her grace kindly, right? To put her away secretly so she wasn't stoned or killed. How do you do that? Well, when you're suffering with anger or bitterness, and we all have it, instead of rehearsing the rap accumulated against us, I can't believe what they did or didn't do, I instead rehearse the rap taken for me. God, in light of what you've done for me, what you've forgiven for me, what you've, mercy, you've extended to me, how can I not forgive my neighbor, my enemy, my friend? The second thing when you realize what Jesus' name is, is when someone takes a rap for you, you assume that in the next circumstance, you could be wrong. And you don't have the whole story. Right? God had to forgive me because I was wrong last time. I might be wrong this time, whether it's a conversation with your wife or a conversation with a boss or a colleague. You're open to the possibility you could be wrong. And even Joseph, and now it took an angel and a, and a dream, but he's open to, okay, you know what? I was wrong about this. I believe this. This wasn't just something I ate last night. It's God talking to me. I'm going to take her as my wife. And if you talk to Joseph, he probably felt like he was out of God's will at that moment. Oh, my goodness, my life's falling apart. Everything's not going according to plan. He didn't have the whole story. And maybe you don't have the whole story. You look at your life, it looks like a giant pile of painful randomness. That's how Joseph felt. But it might be instead a precise and purposeful plan. Not only was he not far from God's will, he was in the center of God's will. Which is why the next verse is, so all this, all this, everything you just read about, which seems like chaos and pain, all this happened that it might be fulfilled. I had a mentor friend of mine told a story about an executive at NBC. And they brought on a new talent who had just moved to town. It was a big break for them to get a New York uh, anchor job. And they made just a bonehead mistake, a fireable offense. And that woman came into the office of her boss, and she kind of knew she was about to get fired because of what she did. And she knew there was 100 people in line to take the job after her. And her boss sat down and said, well, you know what happened? Yeah. She said, I got my resignation if you want it. He's like, well, no, I'm not going to take your resignation. It was, it, was, it was a bad thing you did. But I want you to know that when kind of people called for your head, I took the blame. I told them I hadn't trained you. I told them we'd do things a little bit differently here. And that we were going to work together to get this fixed and move forward. And she's shell-shocked. She went from literally thinking she could get, lose her job in a minute to realizing he had taken the rap for her. She never heard anything like this, especially in her industry. She's like, why would you do this? He said, hey, don't worry about it. Let's just move forward together. She said, no, I got to know. So she pushed and pushed and pushed. She said, finally, listen, I'm not supposed to talk about this kind of stuff with HR issues around here, but I'm a follower of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, I believe he, he kind of took consequences for me that I didn't deserve, that he didn't deserve. So I feel like as a leader, I try and do that for the people I lead as well. I'm not really religious, but I've never heard about a God like that. And she started attending church because she saw someone take the rap for her and intrigued her about the kingdom of God. Jesus, who took the rap for us. The second stroke is that God closed the gap. If Jesus is his name and Christ is his title, then Emmanuel is going to be his function. God closes the gap. When we are estranged from God, he closed the gap. We couldn't close it ourselves, so he closed it for us. 
Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled. There he is again, teeing up the word fulfilled for us. Well, spoken of through again Isaiah. The virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Here's what he's come to do. He's come to close the gap, to reconcile us, to enter into our world because we couldn't reach up to his world. This is his function, to put God with us. What Joseph is so struck by, this angel, and so struck by this confidence that this came from, from the scriptures itself was predicted. It says, then, after hearing this, Joseph, being aroused from sleep, and look at all the verbs here. He is struck by what God did for him, so there's verbs as response. So he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took to him his wife, and he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And they called his name Jesus. And there's his name again. Emmanuel, the role of what he, what he does, Jesus, his name. Now, notice the word till. So Mary and Joseph stayed celibate until Jesus was born. Now, this is kind of where the Catholic theology and Protestant theology is a little bit different. So Catholic theology has two things that are different. They call the Immaculate Conception. They believe Mary was immaculately conceived so that she had no sin. Protestants would say, well, I see lots of examples where Jesus was sinful. In fact, she went to temple to sacrifice uh, two turtle doves, a sign that she needed forgiveness. So that's one difference. The other difference would be on her perpetual virginity. So many Catholics believe that Mary was a virgin the whole rest of her life, as if being a virgin made her more um, righteous than uh, having intimate relationships with her husband. Now, I'm like, well, listen, if making Mary a virgin esteems her, I think it would probably esteem Joseph more than me. You know, I'd be like, Joseph, wow, he stayed married to her and then never were intimate. But this is kind of where the difference between Catholic theology and Protestant theology comes in, that, that this word till, because we see in the Bible that Jesus' brother James was very skeptical toward Jesus, and he accepts Christ and becomes a follower of Jesus later in the book. So these two names. Joshua, Yahoshua, Jesus took the rap for us. Emmanuel, and keep in mind that in Hebrew they read from right to left. So it actually is saying El, God, us, with. So literally it's saying with us God has come. With us God. God is now in the midst of the pain, of the diff. God left the penthouse to come to the outhouse. God left where he had no pain and no problems and perfect comfort, and he came to the rough and difficult places for you and for me. He enters into a broken world. Now, there's an artist rendering back in the 1800s of what the fountain looked like, supposedly where Jesus, uh, where, where the angel appeared to Mary. It's called the Fountain of the Virgin. They built a church on top of it now, which they often do. That this might be the location that the angel appeared and said, Mary, Jesus... Emmanuel has come. The place that Jesus was born, they have built a place called the Church of the Nativity. They think over the actual location of Jesus' stable where he was born. If you come into that church, you can wander through there. And like all religious stuff, you kind of lose the, architect, the, the ancient uh, look of it because of all the religious stuff. But you come in, and this is an ancient cave. And they believe this is the cave where Jesus was born called the Church of Nativity. So it's hard to say, like, where's the cave at? So probably in its day, it looks something like this. And the reason they think that is because shepherds would often, when you're trying to get your, your sheep um, or other flock of whatever, you had goats, whatever, out of the rain, you'd rush into a cave. 
you'd immediately have three walls, right, and a ceiling. You'd put a fire at the front end. It would heat the cave and also create kind of a barrier, the firewood, so that the animals don't run out. And if this is where Jesus was born, or someplace like it, imagine that the, the king of the universe decided to come to a stinky, smelly, dismissed location to enter the rough with us, to get into the difficult places with us, to, like I said, to leave the penthouse to come to the outhouse, literally, for us. Emmanuel, with us, God. If that's true, then what does it mean for us? I think it means two things. What does it look like for us to reconcile and what does it look like for us to rough it? When someone closes the gap for you, you suddenly go, maybe I need to close the gap with someone else. I want to take the kingdom of heaven that's done to me and do it to others. God, where do you want me to reconcile with others the way you reconcile with me? It also means that I'm willing to rough it. You see, when someone closes the gap by entering a sand trap, entering the rough patch with me, I say, well, God, I want to enter into other people's pain, enter into other people's rough spots, enter into other people's confusion or chaos. I want to do unto others the same way you did unto me. I want to rough it. I want to join others in their challenges. Emmanuel, God closes the gap and prompts my heart to be renovated to say, I want to close the gap as well. I was talking to a friend at uh, our church a couple weeks ago. He sent me this note. He said I could share it. And to me, it was an amazing example of what happens when you think about Jesus' name. Took the rap, closed the gap. And the, the radical things God might challenge you to do. Let me read his story to you. Hey, Chad. I was raised Catholic by loving parents with three sisters. Yep, I got eight combined minutes in the bathroom growing up from age 10 to 15. After graduating in 1994, I married my high school sweetheart and lived in Cincinnati. My wife was not raised with faith, and this was an area that needed work in our relationship. Going to the Catholic Church was not the right way to allow my wife to understand Jesus. All the kneeling and sayings and rituals were just too foreign. If you weren't taught in an early age, it can even be intimidating. So fast forward, we had three wonderful children, and they were each three years apart. We wanted our kids to go to church and understand faith. On January 12th of 2009, our world got turned upside down. Max, our oldest, was sick. He was rushed to Children's Hospital. The words leukemia, severe aplastic anemia, and other cancers were mentioned as a possible cause. The doctor did testing on all our children to rule out a hereditary disease called Fanconi anemia, a rare inherited disease characterized by bone marrow failure and a higher than normal risk of cancer. The test takes two weeks. And this time, Max was in the hospital being treated for low platelets. He had had so many blood transfusions. The doctor knew he was going to need a bone marrow transplant, but needed to have the correct diagnosis to treat in the most effective way. To see a young nine-year-old in pain and about to go through hell was faith-challenging and, frankly, unfair. Well, two weeks came, and we got amazing news. It was not Fanconi anemia. Yes! We also got the news that Ellie, now 17 months, 
was a perfect match for giving her marrow brother, her bone marrow to her brother. The plan was chemo, radiation, and killing the rest of the bone marrow. Fast forward eight weeks, we got to go home. Well, home was not normal home. Think of COVID before COVID. Max was so immune suppressed that we had to be incredibly careful. He wore an N95 mask in public always. We had survived the illness with Max, but unfortunately my wife and I were not going to survive together. Many factors and more energy on taking care of others caused our 24-year marriage to come apart. Divorce is a tough thing. Divides families. All this time my faith was in the background, and this divorce was really tough for me. I felt society would look at me as a failure. It was also a failure for me when I looked in the mirror. I turned to Christian music and I started attending the Horizon Equipping Service on a weekly basis. Each week my faith grew stronger and my, my emptiness was slowly going away. Attending the Equipping Service from 2020 to 2023 was something I did every single week. This year I attended the Christmas Eve service. Joy to the world was playing and I, I cannot contain my tears or emotion. That was me, the one with stains and scars with joy back in my life after three years of pain and suffering from a divorce Jesus had gotten me out of the fires of my life in a couple of exceedingly demanding situations. As we think about how God is, was willing to give up his only begotten son for the forgiveness of our sins, I cannot imagine. See, Max was so sick in 20, 2009, the doctor made us sign documents understanding the treatment could kill him. I was terrified. I could not imagine life without my oldest son. As the service continued, I thought, that's what Jesus did for me, for all of us. We are forgiven. Our loved unconditionally came over me. But one of the final steps in my journey was to forgive my ex-wife, her family, and her boyfriend. This has been a source of anger and resentment and unhealthy emotion. I've done this in my mind and heart, but my, my heart continued to tell me that doing something more showing Jesus I've forgiven them and asking them if they would consider forgiving me. So I've given them this letter. I met with them to say I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness for some of the actions that I made in anger. Additionally, I've given my ex-wife and boyfriend money for a trip by themselves, and I'm gonna take the kids so they can enjoy a trip to somewhere of their liking. Chad, thank you for Horizon and how it's pointed me to Jesus. Now that's some kind of otherworldly reaction, right? It's like I don't even know if somebody came to talk to you, you'd advise that. That's like only the Spirit of God would say, listen, look how I closed the gap. Look how I took the rap for you. I want you to live out that kingdom with your friends, with your enemies, with people who deserve it, and people who don't. What does it look like to take the name of Jesus, Yahweh saves, and Emmanuel with us, God, and to let it so sink into our hearts that we begin to take that kingdom in heaven and we begin to live on this earth like we're citizens of that administration? 
You see, Jesus is going to talk about the kingdom of heaven is here, and he wants to recruit you into that kingdom, and then he wants you to live in your neighborhood, in your family, in your current society. He wants you to live like an ambassador of the king of David's kingdom, the king of heaven's kingdom. Are you ready to live like an ambassador? Let me show you that map one more time, where we've been. Right? We have looked at how he's connected to Abraham. But he's been connecting us to David early on so he can see this kingdom teaching that's going to flow through the rest of the book is a call for you and I to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. So here's my encouragement to you. I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but God is calling us to live like an ambassador of the king. To live like the king's ambassador in your marriage, with your kids, with your parents, with your neighbors, and with your colleagues. They're going to see the way you react and say, wow, I don't see people doing much of that these days. That's a different kind of love. That's a different kind of forgiveness. We love like the king. Wherever we act out the kingdom of God, God reigns in that moment. We live like the king. We reign like the king. We pursue the king. We are ambassadors of this new priority and this new administration. We see people in pain. We see people in rough spots. We don't go, oh, not my problem. No, no, because he came into the rough with us, we are willing to rough it like the king does. Reconcile like the king does. To go first when it really they should go first in this reconciliation. And this sets up how chapter 2 begins. Because we have two kings. Jesus, born king of the Jews, and Herod, who bought his way to be king of the Jews. Two different kings, two different kingdoms, two different priorities, one power hungry, one others focused. What does it look like for you and I to live like ambassadors of the king? I was reading about John Adams after we won the Revolutionary War. He became our ambassador to England. Can you imagine? You just finished winning the war against England and you're going to stand face to face with the king of England? John Adam describes it. He says he came to represent the new kingdom of America in England. He said, King George consented but didn't accept the fact that we were a nation. But he was intrigued at the new value system of this, this new land. He said, I heard that George Washington, who won the war, who's now your president, was offered to be king, King George. And he turned it down? I've never heard anything like this, King George of England said. That there was a different kind of priority. In fact, there's a, a French philosopher and historian by the name of uh, Alexei uh, Tocqueville. Alexei de Tocqueville, exactly. And he would write about coming to America. And he would say it wasn't just they had made a new country with the same old thing, same old caste system, same old. It was a totally different way of treating people. Alexei said, I would go into restaurants and, and wealthy people of different places and merchants they would treat their waiters and waitresses like they were equals. i just never seen any society living out these kind of values. And Alexei was drawn to America because they were living differently. In the same way, people should see how we parent, how we love, how we forgive, and they should say, that's different. <laughs> that is not a kingdom that's of this earth. I want to know more about that. Live like the king's ambassador. Let's pray. Father, we know it's not easy to do. 
And we couldn't do it on our own. But Father, we love you because you first loved us. We forgive others because you've forgiven us so much more. Teach us, Father, how to connect with one another and how to more deeply connect with you. In Jesus' name, amen.